0: I would love for you to hit that subscribe button so that you are getting the podcast as they are released. It's going to make me oh so happy to know that you are a subscriber of the pod. You are officially a Betty in the Bettyverse. And of course, you are never going to miss an episode and be the first to know when it drops. Thank you so much.
1: Stress is not what's happening to you. Stress is your reaction to what's happening to you. So stress Grace. is not the stuff, stress is your reaction to the stuff. And if, and the more stuff that happens, the more demands you have, the more it's burning up your adaptation energy. And when you run out of adaptation energy, then your body launches involuntarily into a fight or flight stress reaction, whether you've read Eat, Pray, Love or not. I've been fighting with one arm tied behind my back, but what happens when...
0: I'm finally set
1: free. What we do in life echoes in eternity. It's supposed to be hard. If it wasn't hard, everyone would do it. The hard makes it great.
0: Only love
1: can truly save the world. This is my mission now,
0: forever. Welcome back to the Better with Dr. Stephanie podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Estima. In today's episode, I sat down to talk with Emily Fletcher. She is regarded as a leading expert in meditation for high performers. She is the creator of the Ziva Technique and the founder of Ziva, where she has developed a worldwide meditation training program. And Emily was inspired to teach meditation after experiencing the profound physical and mental benefits that it yielded her when she was on Broadway. She's taught over twenty thousand people how to meditate, and learning about the unique demands of, you know, elite performers, Emily has realized that meditation alone is not enough. So she has developed something called the Ziva Technique, which is a trifecta of what she calls the 3m's mindfulness meditation and manifesting to unlock your full potential. She has been featured pretty much everywhere the New York Times, Vogue, NBC and she has a studio in New York City where she has seen, you know, the elite of the elite in terms of high performers, CEOs, actors, you name it. On our podcast today, we talked about how meditation improves sex. We started off with a bang. Uh, so we talked about the way that se- that meditation really does help connect us back to our animalistic and our primal nature, how it helps heighten our senses. And we moved from that into uh, defining the difference between mindfulness and meditation. And she makes a compelling argument that they are both uh, used very much interchangeably, but has very specific and unique definitions for each of them. And we talked about manifestation, we talked about mantras, we talked about adaptation, adaptation energy, uh, meaning the you know ability to handle a change or an expectation and how meditation helps that. We talked about meditation and caffeine. We talked about brain health. We talked about cortisol and the long-term and short-term effects that it may have on brain, mood, wound healing, mood, circadian biology. And she took some time to define what stress is not. So I thought this was a really interesting contrast where she said, you know, stress is not your morning commute. It's not your breakup. You know, these are demands. And then she contrasted that with what stress actually is in the body why we are not meditating as often as we should. We all know the benefits of meditation. Um, so she, we, we did a bit of a deep dive into that. And why more meditation teachers are not talking about uh, emotional detoxification or as I referred to it in our conversation as traumatic release. So we talked about how sometimes when I personally meditate, I can feel, uh, especially in the beginning when I started, I would feel kind of sad and uh, weepy. And we talked about why that might be true. We got into some of the neuroscience around the brain and body changes that we see with meditation, best practices for meditation, and uh, we then started talking about what and how meditation has helped her in terms of being a mother. I always like to, you know, say tongue-in-cheek, there ain't no hood like motherhood. So we kind of got into uh, what it's like to become a new mother, how meditation can help with that, and how it can help in our journey in becoming better parents. This was a wonderful conversation. Emily is somebody who, when I was thinking about starting my podcast, she was in the top ten in terms of people that I wanted to have on to discuss some of the benefits of meditation. I know that the benefits uh, of her teachings have impacted my awareness, my tranquility, and my happiness greatly. So I'm very, very happy to have had her on the on the podcast. She was very generous with her time, and her knowledge, and her brilliance. So without further ado. Please enjoy my conversation with Emily Fletcher. I am a huge fan of the Bio Optimizers Magnesium Breakthrough. It has seven forms of magnesium, which is going to help to transform your stress and your performance and your recovery and your sleep to the next building recovery and health. The list goes on and on. You're basically getting them all in one supplement. Each supplement itself is 500 milligrams of magnesium, which I feel is such your cart. Don't be fooled by the frigid temperatures. Keeping hydrated in the wintertime is super important. Welcome to the Better Podcast with Dr. Stephanie. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Stima. And today I am delighted to have with me Emily Fletcher here on the podcast. Welcome, Emily.
1: Hi. Congratulations on starting this. I'm so honored to be here.
0: Oh, uh, you are one of the first people on, you know, if I, when I was putting together my dream list of people, you know, we have the guests that we've had on so far, but you were definitely, you were definitely in the top 10. So I'm really happy that we're able to be doing this today. Great. <laughs> so, I want to be talking. Uh, we're going to be talking all about meditation today. We're going to dive into mindfulness, meditation, you know, manifestation, what those definitions are. Um, but I would like to start our conversation if you're game. I'd like to start it off a little differently and perhaps talk about how meditation, uh, maybe we can start off by talking about how meditation can improve our sex life.
1: Ha, ah, yeah, let's just dive right into sex. Forget about the <laughs> date to the cocktails. Let's just go right for home base. Go yeah,
0: right for home base. Yeah, and I I I bring this up because in your book Stress Less, Accomplish More, you know, you have a chapter in it where you talk about some of the benefits that meditation can have on sex. And one of the and you know, in in particular intimacy and the benefits like the physiological benefits of orgasms. And I I just think we're not, you know, healthcare providers, practitioners. We are not talking about just how important sex is for our health and vitality. So let's start there. Let's like reel everybody into the conversation, and then we can get into some other really cool, nerdy science stuff around meditation. So how does meditation improve our sex life, Emily?
1: Yeah, so I first started talking about meditation and sex because a bunch of my students were coming to me and being like, Emily, you made some jokes at your intro talk about meditation and sex, but what's happening to me feels animalistic. This feels raw. This feels... Like, uh, next level. And the animalistic and raw sex is not usually in the meditation conversation, and I think that that's usually because people are used to it being a um a monastic practice. So first of all, people think they shouldn't be having any thoughts during meditation, and they certainly shouldn't be having thoughts about sex. Because we think about it like it's, uh, you know, holy or religious or something. And so people, I just don't think anyone was talking about it. But in reality, what's happening when we're meditating is we're getting the body out of fight or flight and into what I call stay and play. AKA, you're moving from sympathetic into parasympathetic or rest and digest. Mm -hmm. And as you well know, when your body's in fight or flight, it's preparing for a predatory attack. So it's going to launch into a series of chemical reactions, which are all perfectly well and good if your job is to fight off a tiger. So if your body's in that survival mode, the last thing it's interested in is procreation. And one of the reasons that we derive pleasure from sex is to propel the species forward. So people like having sex, so they will get pregnant and go through the audacious amount of responsibility that it is to raise a child. It's like, oh, sex feels good, and now I have a kid. And then you fall in love with the kid, and it takes care of itself. But anyway point of the story is that if you're in chronic low-grade fight or flight, your body's simply not interested in procreation, and so your desire decreases. Um, the other thing is that 40% of American cohabitating couples say that the number one reason that they're not having as much sex as they would like is that they're tired. And the cool thing about Ziva is that you're giving your body rest. that's somewhere between two to five times deeper than sleep. And we can talk about how we know that in a minute. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you're giving your body this deep rest, I like to think about it like a supercharged power nap, but without the sleep hangover. So for even a 15 minute meditation, it's the equivalent of about an hour nap. And if you could take an hour long nap at five o'clock at night, you think it's possible you might have a little bit more energy to get it on with your partner later? Like likely, but most of us don't have time. We can't take a nap at our office, you know, and we can't take a nap on our commute home. But you could do that on a train or on, um, you know, in even in a hotel lobby or, um, on a subway on your way home. So anyway, so the meditation helps people to feel less tired. It gets you out of fight or flight. So the body can actually have some extra energy to think about things like pleasure and procreation. Also when you're stressed, One of the things that those stress hormones do is that it dampens your senses because who wants to feel the fangs of a tiger as they're biting into you? And so all your senses get a little deadened. So a lot of times when meditators um, begin, they say, oh, my food tastes better. Colors are brighter, smells are more intense. And since sex is a decidedly sensorial experience, if your senses become heightened, it can make it more pleasurable. And one of the things that's a little bit more out there is this idea of mirror neurons. So this is my Broadway showgirl definition of mirror neurons. And it is that my brain has boomerangs and your brain has boomerangs. And when we're interacting with each other, they come out, they dance, and they report back. And so one of the things that meditation does is that it increases neural activity, which includes mirror neurons. And so my hypothesis around this is that if your mirror neural activity is increasing, you become more intuitive around your lover. and you get more pleasure from watching them have pleasure. So mirror neurons is one of the reasons that porn is a multi-billion dollar industry. If I were to pull out a knife right now and cut my hand, those people who are watching the podcast might cringe. They might think, ow. And so that's, it's, um, it's not total empathy, but it's why we can get pleasure from watching someone else have pleasure. And if you enjoy watching your partner have pleasure, it makes you a more generous lover versus just like, oh, what have you done for me lately? And then I'd say the most esoteric of these concepts of how meditation can improve sex is that it quite simply is giving you access to your own fulfillment in the only place that it resides, which is inside of you. Mm -hmm. And if you are looking to a partner to complete you in the emotional relationship or the physical relationship, that is neediness and neediness is not sexy. Detachment is sexy, and it's very hard to be detached if you think that your partner is going to fill you up. And, And what meditation is doing is that it's flooding the brain and body with dopamine and serotonin, which are bliss chemicals. You're able to access your fulfillment internally, and then you can approach your relationships and even your sexual relationships from a place of how can I contribute versus what can I take? And
0: I think that that is much more sustainable, A, and much sexier. Beautifully said. Um, Beautifully said. And I would also, I would add, you know, when we are thinking about cultivating, you know, our sexual energy that can also transmutate into creative energy as well. Like in the book, you had talked something, you had said something like, you know, if you want to be a master in the bedroom, it'll also help you be a master in the boardroom or something to that effect. And I think when we're trying to solve unique problems, um, I think that having more sex and being more attuned and having these heightened senses and developing these, this empathy and, be, you know, be getting satisfaction from seeing our, you know, our, whether it's with another person or it's with ourself, I think that the uh, cultivating and harnessing that sexual energy is also a way for us to cultivate and harness our, our creative energy as well. Yes, I'm a thousand percent. I,
1: I used to, you know, be an actress and teach acting and I would often say that sexual energy and creative energy are very similar. That's why when you go through a breakup and you stop having as much sex, you get really creative. It's like some of the world's greatest albums were written post-breakup because that sexual energy has to find an outlet and energy is either always creating or destroying. Mm -hmm. So if you don't let that energy move through you to create, you can, you know, binge on alcohol or binge on Netflix or something. Um, And I I just want to add to this that uh, there certainly are, you know, more advanced traditions, you know, things like Tantra, things like you know, there's Tibetan lineages where they'll talk very specifically about the number of orgasms for optimal mental and physical performance, and it's different for men and women. Yeah. Um, you know, I think if, for men, there's a certain—it's like your age divided by your body weight or something like that. But it's—it it averages about like one. you know, I shouldn't even talk about it because I'm not an expert, but it's for men, it's like ejaculation about every eight to nine days. That doesn't mean orgasm, it's ejaculation. But with women, it's it's like as much as possible. Like for us, it doesn't release our life energy, it doesn't release our chi, it actually builds it. And so I think that because there's been so much sexual shame instilled in everyone, but especially in women, I think that we have to reclaim this. We have to own it. And I think we're in an interesting age of this rising of the divine feminine where we can stop slut-shaming each other and we can start seeing this as a tool for even our own evolution. And like any tool, there's there's two sides. You know, the devil's in the dose and it can be constructive or destructive, but it's a very powerful tool.
0: I love everything you're saying. This was, We had a similar conversation with Elizabeth Gilbert around this idea of females tapping into their desires and their and their sexual power and their prowess. And I think that it's so important. You know, I I wrote an article on this around why women need twice as much sex as men. You know, women yes, I read that. Thank you. That was so good. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. But it was all about the female orgasm and what it does. I mean, what it does to our vitals. It's like heart rate lowers, blood pressure lowers, cortices are activated, like both sides of the cortex and parasympathetics, just everything echoing everything that you were just saying. So I love everything you're saying here. It's great. Mm, great. So what are some other important and admittedly selfish reasons why someone might come to meditation? So sex, we know sex is going to, it's going to help our, our sexual uh, life and sexual endeavors. What are some other reasons why someone might come to meditation?
1: Yeah, so thank you for asking this because the whole first seven chapters of my book are dedicated exactly to this, what I call the selfish reasons that we come to meditation. So sex is one. I would say uh, reversing body age is another. Mm. Uh, So a lot of people think, well, however many candles you have on your birthday cake, that's how old you are. So we have our chronological age, but we also have our biological age. And one of the massive factors determining your biological age is how stressed you are. And meditation is not a magic pill. It's not a fountain of youth. But there is some science coming out of Tufts and Wake Forest University suggesting that meditation can reverse your body age from anywhere from 8 to 15 years. And when I first heard that, I was like, come on. I mean, I'm a meditation teacher, and that sounds crazy to me. But then I started thinking about it. I was like, well, look at any president. The day they take office and that same president four years later, all of them, no matter what you know, party you're in, all of them age exponentially. Yes. And we see it on our own faces. If we're not sleeping and we're eating crappy food and drinking too much and working too hard and staring at screens all day, we look like we're a hundred. You go on vacation, get some sun, have some sex, you know, eat some smoothies, and then you're like, oh, I look so radiant and youthful and delightful. And one of the big uh, delineations I want to make, um, and I make it in the book as well, is that it's not about, to me, it's not about chasing youth, it's about chasing health. And because we've conflated the two, because most people are healthier when they're younger, we think that, oh, if I look young, I'll look healthy. But to me, it's not about that. It's not actually about looking young, it's about, optimizing your looks for the age that you are. Because if you're 70 years old and you've had so much plastic surgery that you look like you're trying to be 20, you're not fooling anyone. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's not about looking young. It's about looking vital and supple and energized and radiant, which we sometimes conflate with youth.
0: Well said, and I completely agree. Mm-hmm. Let's, so let's dive into some of the definitions because I really want to get into your, the Ziva technique. I want to get into your body of work, which I think is so important. And I, I think that there's been confusion and dilution around the words mindfulness meditation. I know that your, your whole construct is the three M. So we have mindfulness, meditation, and manifestation. Mm-hmm. And they, it's almost like the word wellness. Like Nobody even really knows what these words mean anymore. So yeah. let's start off with mindfulness and maybe walk us through the, the three steps that uh, mindfulness, meditation, and manifestation. Yeah. So thank you for acknowledging this because a lot of people
1: are using mindfulness and meditation as synonyms. And then it gets confusing for people because they're like, well, should I be focusing or should I be clearing my mind or should I be letting go or what should I be doing? And and so I think the more specificity we can have around the terms, the easier it's going to be for people to start. So mindfulness, I would define as the art of bringing your awareness into the present moment. So simple, so beautiful. The art of bringing your awareness into the present moment. And we could all take a mindful breath right now. You know what? Why not? Um, So let's just close our eyes and take a big inhale through the nose And exhale through the mouth. Never hurts to take a moment of presence. So again, inhaling through the nose, right into the belly and exhaling through the mouth. And as you exhale, feel the tactile sensation of the breath exiting the mouth. And final time, and on this inhale, again, I invite you to feel the tactile sensation of the breath as it enters the nostrils. And as you exhale, noticing your shoulders soften, your face soften, your jaw go slack, your belly soften. Really good. And opening the eyes. So we just took a few mindful breaths. We We were bringing our attention consciously into the present moment. We were bringing our awareness into a tactile or physical sensation, which is one tool you can use to cultivate mindfulness or presence. And it's beautiful. And most of the apps out there, most of the free apps, uh, most of the guided visualizations on YouTube, most of the drop-in, quote-unquote, meditation studios are teaching what I would call mindfulness. So anytime someone is guiding you through something, anytime you are directing your focus, I put that in the mindfulness category. And mindfulness is very good at dealing with your stress in the now. I, I went to work, I got stressed, I listened to 10 minutes of Headspace, I feel better in the now, a state change, versus what we're up to at Ziva, and specifically the meditation portion of the Ziva technique is creating a trait change. You know, This is that, that term state change or trait change, I'm attributing to the Altered States book, mm-hmm. so just you know, give credit where credit is due, but we're creating a trait change. And what that means is that we're not only healing the stress from the now, we're actually going in and healing all of our stress from the past. And the way that we do this, I'm talking specifically about Ziva meditation now, is we utilize a tool that helps to go in and de excite the nervous system to induce. This deep healing rest, rest that's somewhere between two to five times deeper than sleep. And when we give the body the rest that it needs, it knows how to heal itself. And one of the things that it heals itself from is stress. Again, not only from today, like mindfulness, but the stuff that we've been storing in our cellular, and now we know even in our epigenetic memories, the thing that we've inherited from generations previously, and the things that we will pass down to future generations. And so... What we're doing is that every day, twice a day, we give our bodies this deep healing rest. And on the other side, not only do we come out feeling more awake and more energized, but because we de excited the nervous system, we've given ourselves the opportunity to throw off the acquired and accumulated stresses. And ultimately it is that backlog of accumulated stresses that we have in our body. This is what is making us stupid, sick, and slow as a species. And we cannot afford to be stupid, sick, and slow right now. We are facing some giant challenges that we need giant solutions for. So we got to wake up. We need all hands on deck. And, and also the thing I want to highlight here is this is, a, this is a really important difference, the difference between just dealing with your stress from today and dealing with the stress from the past, because it, it is this differentiation that gives you a return on your time investment. Most people think that they don't have time to meditate, because what most people are practicing is mindfulness, and that is treating the symptom, not the cause. you know If you're only dealing with your stress in the now, that's like triage, it's like taking an aspirin when you have a headache sometimes necessary, but at the end of the day, we have to figure out well, why are you having headaches to begin with? What is actually causing this overwhelm, this anxiety, this depression? And for most of us, it's the dog that barked in our face when we were five, it's our parents' divorce, it's the job we got fired from, it's the environmental toxins, it's you know eating mangoes in the wintertime and taking plane rides and all the things that we do in modern society that are not inherently bad, but they are taxing on our bodies. And it's led to this low-level chronic fight or flight that Harvard Medical School is saying was responsible for 90% of all doctors' visits. Nine-zero. Scientists are calling it the black plague of our century. And stress is not an incurable illness. We have a cure. It's called meditation. No one's doing it because they think they're too busy. And the reason they think they're too busy is that none of us have time to waste. None of us will do anything if we don't feel like it's giving us a return on our time investment. And so, if you do like a cute free app for 10 minutes and you feel fine on the other side, but it's not making your sleep better, it's not making your sex better, it's not improving your immune system, it's not making you more money, it's not giving you more time and productivity, then that's going to go in the cute nice to have pile. But if you start to treat this thing like the single most important piece of mental hygiene that you need to be practicing every day and take the time to invest in, training yourself on this important skill then your brain becomes infinitely more productive you know mark Hyman who's a mutual friend and student of mine he says that for the two meditations he does a day he gives he gets three hours more productivity in his day right three more hours mm-hmm. and I think that because most what most people are doing isn't giving them that they think that they don't they don't have time to meditate
0: so if we could if if I could just paraphrase back to you, if we think about mindfulness, this is getting rid of the present stress. This mm-hmm. is the gateway drug into meditation, yeah, so meditation is uh, proper meditation is this deep healing rest and releasing this cellular traumatic you know the dar- the dog barking at you as you said, the divorce, the you know the things that we keep carrying on this like invisible ball and chain that we're walking through life with Yes, very well said, okay. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And uh, I would, you had talked about a tool. I want to circle back to that, but just in the context of continuing to define. So, when, when you're done a meditation session under your guidance or under the Ziva technique, what comes after that?
1: So we do mindfulness, meditation, and then there's manifesting. So manifesting is like uh, the dessert course. So if mindfulness is the appetizer and meditation is the main course, then manifesting is the dessert. And this manifesting, I get some eye rolls, especially from, you know, the scientific community. But to me, manifesting simply means consciously creating a life you love. It's you getting intentional about what you want your life to look like. And just like you can't build a house without a blueprint, it's very hard to build big dreams if you are not clear on what those dreams are. And what I found now from teaching over 20,000 people to meditate is that many of us have been in fight or flight for so long. We've been in overwhelm and anxiety for so long that we don't even remember what our dreams are. And so what we do is we take this very beautiful, sacred time at the end of the meditation. We just keep our eyes closed and the right and left hemispheres of the brain are functioning in unison. We've de-excited the nervous system. We've accessed that source energy and we start to manifest from here. And manifesting is simply imagining your dreams as if they are happening now. Spoiler alert, Cliff's notes. The real trick, if there is one, is imagining your dreams as if they are happening now. Because, what a lot of us do when we think we're manifesting, or even if we think we're praying, is that we accidentally worship the space between where we are and where we think we should be, which, by the way, is the definition of stress. The space between where you are and where you think you should be is the only thing creating stress in your life. (laughs) Yeah. Yep, but not the good yeah. yeah. gap. <laughs> it's the like, ah, it's mm-hmm. the stress gap. Yeah. And and so we inadvertently worship that space. We inadvertently water those weeds. When what we want to do is water the flowers. We want to pour our attention on the things that we want to grow. And so we imagine, you know, signing the lease, walking into the house, saying yes, holding the baby, seeing the money in the bank account, driving the car. We don't imagine, we don't, where, where What a lot of people are doing is saying like, Ugh, why can't I lose this weight? Why does she have a boyfriend and I don't? Why did he get a raise and I didn't? And if you ask shitty questions, or I just, just want to be happy.
0: Answers. I just want to be happy. That's yeah. that's not a, that's
1: yeah that's focusing. That's on not a kind of manifestation. That. That's going yeah. into a restaurant and saying like, I'm just so hungry. I just want some food. And the waitress is like, Yeah, what do you want? Place your order. But And so manifesting is simply placing the order with the cosmic waitress at the cosmic restaurant. And a lot of us, you know, we just are like, why does she have food? I don't have food. It's not fair. We're complaining about everybody else's food, but we forgot to place our own order.
0: Right. And in the book, you talk about, uh, adaptation energy and the process. And, um, I think this comes in the meditation portion, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but the pro the practice of meditation increases what you define as an adaptation energy, which is the ability to handle, you know, change this like resiliency that, um, I think, uh, it's, like, it's almost like a muscle, right? The more you flex it, the, the, you know, the more you, the more it grows. So the more adaptation reserves you have, um, how does, that, how does that translate into, into life? How, like mm-hmm. having more adaptation, why is that important? Yeah, so I would define adaptation energy as your ability to handle a demand.
1: And a demand is the artist formerly known as stress. You know, a lot of us think like, oh, my mother-in-law is so stressful or living in New York City is so stressful. My job is so stressful. It's like those things are not inherently stressful. Stress is not what's happening to you. Stress is your reaction to what's happening to you. So stress is not the stuff, stress is your reaction to the stuff. And And the more stuff that happens, the more demands you have, the more it's burning up your adaptation energy. And when you run out of adaptation energy, then your body launches involuntarily into a fight or flight stress reaction, whether you've read Eat, Pray, Love or not, whether you've read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People or not. Because the thing is we don't act in accordance with what we know, we act in accordance with the baseline level of stress in our nervous systems. And so what we do with the meditation is that we go in and we not only get out of fight or flight, but because we're decreasing the backlog of stresses in our body, it's almost like we're creating a bigger container for more and more adaptation energy. So just to put this into a real-life example, let's say you wake up one morning and you accidentally oversleep your alarm by 15 minutes. Not a big deal. Small demand burns up a little bit of adaptation energy. Uh, you jump on in your car, get on the road. GPS says it's going to take you 15 minutes. You get on the highway. It was wrong. 45-minute traffic delay. Burn—it's another demand. Burns up some more adaptation energy. You finally get off the highway, run into the Starbucks drive-through to get some coffee because now you're late. You need to amp it up, and the barista's like, ah, "We're so sorry, but we're out of coffee." Here, take this chamomile tea on the house and you're like I don't want your stupid chamomile tea you get that out of my face <laughs> so now you get to work you're 45 minutes late your boss is like hey Stephanie can I talk to you for a second mm-hmm. you're like sure um, listen thank you for everything we're gonna have to let you go and you're like' this is the first time I've ever been late why are you firing me so you know you call up Giovanni and you're like babe um, I just got fired from my job do you think maybe you could get dinner tonight I might need a little extra love and support and 20 minutes later he texts you back and it's like um, thanks for everything I'm gonna have to let you go and you're like, Did you just divorce me via text message? (laughs) Huge change of expectation, burns up a lot of adaptation energy. You get home after the worst day of all time and pour yourself a glass of, you know,
0: water or maybe something a little stronger. Water. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And then it just slips out of your hand and it crashes on the kitchen floor. Right. And now guess what you're going to do? You're going to start crying. You're going to start yelling at the glass, punch the kitchen wall, run away from the glass. Now, it's a $2 glass that you can replace tomorrow at the Target. But if you're out of adaptation energy, then it doesn't matter what you know. Your body will launch into the fight or flight thing, you know, whether you know better or not. And so all we're doing with meditation, it's not that it's going to take away the demands. You know, sadly, it won't. People will still die. There will still be traffic. You'll still have jobs and responsibilities. However, you will be filling yourself up from the very source of energy. You will be filling your tank with adaptation energy twice a day, so the chances of you running out of gas drop precipitously. It's not impossible, but if you fill it up your tank, your gas tank in your car twice a day, the chances of you running out of gas would go almost to nothing.
0: Right, and I, I think this is also a way for us when we when we talk about this physiologically, it allows you to appropriately adapt both to your internal environment and to your external environment. So when oh. the job, when you get fired, and the you know the husband divorces you, and everything else that you just described happens, you have the reserves. Uh, within to be able to appropriately adapt and to not and not to fall back on some of these maladaptations.
1: Yes, so very well said. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is one of the reasons why everyone's so hep on um, heart rate variability. Yeah, because it's like, do you have the ability to adapt? If a tiger attacks you, can you launch into fight or flight? If it's time right. to sleep, can you down regulate? And right. if, if we're in fight or flight all the time we're not in charge we're not driving that car anymore the adrenals are driving that car your amygdala is driving that car right. and so you don't even have access to your prefrontal cortex you don't have access to the executive function of your brain because all the blood and energy are going to the fear center
0: 100% true and 100% beautifully said let's let's actually dive into what stress actually does physiologically so you know you said it's making us sick it's making us stupid it's making us slow what happens to our brains and our bodies when we carry forward this long term stress what are some of the changes that we see you know whether it's in the brain whether it's you know physiolog you know I've, I've heard you talk about telomeres I've heard you talk about brain changes let's kind of dive into some of the things that sh- that happen there mm-hmm. so I think if we want to
1: understand this just on the basic level of what stress is doing to the body, we have to look at why stress even exists in humans. And that was to protect us from predators, right? So fight or flight is basically like, can you outrun a tiger or a bear or a lion? So let's say you're hunting in the woods, tiger jumps out. One of the first things that will happen is your digestion will flood with acid to shut down digestion because you can't afford to waste all that energy. You need that to get away from the tiger. That same acid will seep onto your skin so you don't taste very good if that tiger bites into you. Um, Your blood will thicken and coagulate so that if you do get bitten into, you don't bleed to death. Um, Your bladder and bowels evacuate. Your immune system goes to the back burner because who cares if you're going to get cancer, if you're about to be killed by a tiger. Um, Your sex drive goes to the back burner. Adrenaline levels increase. Cortisol levels increase, which those stress hormones are acidic in nature. So you know that acidity can lead to chronic inflammation, which we now know is the basis of all chronic disease. Mm-hmm. That acidity on your skin can prematurely age your skin. And if all of your energy and, and blood in your brain is going to the amygdala and the fear center, the rest of the brain tends to atrophy. You know, it's like You're not utilizing the full machine because you're wasting so many mental and physical cycles preparing for what's ultimately an imaginary tiger attack. The thing is, our modern day demands are no longer predators. And look, if you get jumped in a back alleyway, get stressed. If you need to lift a car off a baby, perfect time to get stressed. It's actually not bad for us to get stressed. That's called hormesis. It's the low grade staying stressed that's killing us. And PS, this is also why people say, well, exercise is my meditation. Because they get stressed at work, they go to the gym, they get on the treadmill and they outrun that tiger. Or they go to the boxing ring and they fight that tiger. So they're able to burn off that adrenaline and cortisol from today which is great. Exercise is awesome. But if you want to handle that backlog of stresses you've been accumulating your whole life, you have to give the body rest. So exercise is awesome for you, but please don't call it meditation. Exercise is called exercise and meditation is called meditation. That's why they have their own words.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And I would also, you know, when we think about, you know, just to add on to what you're saying, you know, this short-term adaptation. So the tiger jumps out, you know, just like you're saying, your fertility shuts down, the immune system, the digestive all that stuff is not important. All the blood now floods into your muscles so that you can either fight or flight, get away from the tiger. Short-term, that's a brilliant adaptation, right? It's yeah. brilliant. Yeah. Long-term is what you're talking, the long-term chronic low-grade stress, the long-term chronic low-grade inflammation, that's the shit that kills you. And yeah. I would, I would add as well, when we think about stress, when we think about this long-term Chronic low-grade inflammation. The hormone that we're talking about, as you as you said, is cortisol. And when we have, you know, short-term cortisol actually helps us encode for our memories, right? That's what a flashbulb memory is. It's cortisol plus epinephrine, coding for these emotionally salient events. Long-term, it actually has the flip side. It's very deleterious to the hippocampus, which is our learning and memory center, and it actually. Uh, I don't know if this is ironic or hilarious, but it actually prevents the retrieval of said encoded memories. Oh. So long-term cortisol—it's incredibly. We talked about this, Jim Quick, who I know you uh, know very well and love. We talked about this. He's the you know the memory guy. So we talked about that a little bit, and it has—it's also Zivagret. Of course, he is. Yes, yeah. Zivagret, and it affects every aspect of your human. Like you know, I could like like. Bone formation, mood, uh, circadian biology, sex hormones, uh, weight, you know, your adiposity, like cortisol, long-term cortisol affects everything. So if all of these reasons, like you make a very compelling argument for meditation, If if we can talk to you about sex and maybe help you, you know, Understand why it might help that way uh, or appease to your vanity around, you know, cortisol is going to make you put on weight in the belly. If those are the two, if we can get you in that way, but then you can benefit from the plethora of, you know, your bones are going to be thicker, your moods are going to be more, you are going to be able to be more resilient and have more grit and have more perseverance to follow the dream, follow the thing that you are trying to achieve with Mm -hmm. this time. I think that that's really. Uh, really important
1: so that's really like the whole gig around the book is that it's like yeah we can get out of the red but eventually we want to move into the black you know yes we can get out of the stress debt but why it's so because so that you can accomplish your dreams and because you start to you know because you get um, less bogged down with you know survival, Mm. you start to have more mental and physical energy for your dreams. You can hear your own intuition. You start to have more creative energy, you become more intuitive. And that's really a byproduct of all of the cylinders firing on the brain together versus just being in that panic mode.
0: I am incredibly bullish on sauna as a therapy for recovery, heart health, and overall aging well. A state of well-being necessary for a strong physique and a strong mind. If you visit sunlighten slash better and use code better to get a discount, that is sunlighten s u n l i g h t e n dot com slash b e t t e r and use code better at checkout. We were talking a little bit about this in the pre chat before we started uh, recording, and um, one of the things I I, I I will sheepishly admit this to you, Emily, uh, my Ziva goddess, uh, my meditation goddess. Um, I I'm getting better at letting this go, but very often there's a little, there's like a little voice in the back of my head that's like, but what about your competitive edge? What about, you know, when I, you know, won't, doesn't that give you my, like, doesn't that give me my drive, right? So Mm -hmm. when I introduce myself, it's like, hi, my name is Stephanie and and this is my stress right here. And me and her, we go together, we go everywhere together. So can you maybe comment on how stress, what I've learned and through meditation is that it sort of unhinges the, you know, the fear and the anxiety from the productivity, but I'd love, I'd love to hear what you think about how stress correlates, if at all, Inversely or directly with, um, with having a competitive edge.
1: Yes, I would love to talk about this because you know that's what we do. We work with high achievers, high performers, and and so I get two flavors of this response. Like from my artist, actor, like Oscar people, they're like, Emily, I can't lose my stress. Like my stress, that's where my art comes from. My hurdy poos are where my art comes from. <laughs> and then my doctors and my CEOs and my like entrepreneurs are like, Emily, I can't lose my stress. Like this is where my competitive edge comes from. Uh, this is what keeps my drive going. And to that, I say, look, if you can run a marathon with a rock in your shoe, try taking the rock out of your shoe. (laughs) You getting rid of the stress is not going to decrease your ability to run a marathon. It's just going to make it more enjoyable and you're actually going to be able to run it faster. The thing is, if you're moving away from the negative, which is the only thing that fear can enable you to do, move away from the negative, you can do that for a little while. You can white knuckle your way to the middle but it's not sustainable. And ultimately, eventually, you will go into burnout or overwhelm, and, and it's not that enjoyable like working to compete against others or working to prove someone wrong or working to get out of some terrible situation is not that enjoyable. If you Mm -hmm. are sustainably moving towards your dreams and what you do want to create and what you do want to contribute, and if you are elevating yourself and everyone around you with collaboration versus competition, it's not only more enjoyable, it is more sustainable. And I would argue that it is a faster path to success because you start to get nature's support in the form of other humans versus other humans being like, oh, she's competing with me and I'm just going to do everything I can to tear her down. Um, You know, and, and our friend JJ Virgin is the most beautiful example of this. Like JJ's hella competitive sort of, but only with herself. With herself, yeah. She's yeah. competitive with herself and she is the single most generous, uplifting human I've ever met. She helps more people, she gives more money and she's also one of the richest people I know. And it's like the more she gives away, the more she gets, the more she helps people, the more help she gets. And she really has that dialed in and she has for a long time. And and so... I get it. Like, I get the story because most of us, if we're exhausted and we don't yet have the ability to tap into our own intuition and our creative ideas are scarce because we are not taking our right brain to the gym, which, P.S., I like in the right brain to the router that plugs you into the Wi Fi network that is creative intelligence itself. Mm-hmm. If you're not plugged into that, then it's easy to be competitive about your ideas or your energy or your resources. But once you start to tap into the very source of energy, to the source of fulfillment and to the source of ideas, Then there's nothing to compete with because you start to realize that there's only one thing and we're all it. And so, as I help you, I help myself. You're taking that right brain to the gym. So, the ideas are coming all day, every day. So, you don't have to be competitive or even precious about them. You just start to see yourself more as a vessel. And you start to, you know, and this is going to sound hippy dippy, but you start to see yourself as a vessel. Like, how does nature want to use me? How does creativity want to use me Mm -hmm. versus. What do I need to prove to claim my space in the world?
0: Right. Which and is that, this comes back to that inner fulfillment, right? What meditation, if you are fulfilled from your inner world, from, you are not going to be trying to compete and show off and isolate yourself from other people. You are going to be, as you're saying, you're going to be using your body as this vessel to be able to, you know, to create together and to collaborate. Yeah. Beautiful. Mm hmm. Why do you think, well, you know, we were, we were, ha- we had a little chat about this again, but why do you think people don't meditate as often as we should? Like, you've made the most compelling argument. There is, you've made the argument like brain health, sex, beauty, money, you know, inner fulfillment, money, high performance, you know, the list go- it, Why don't we do the thing that we should be doing?
1: For the same reason we don't eat vegetables and we don't exercise. <laughs> it's like we all know <laughs> what we should be doing. <laughs> right. Um, that's one of the reasons. But, but the real answer is there are two things keeping people from meditating. One of them is the time piece. They think I don't have enough time. Mm. And to that I answer well then you haven't found a type of meditation that works for you yet. You know, you have not yet invested the time to learn something that will give you the return on time investment. So like, you know, I did not buy any Amazon stock 10 years ago. So I am not getting any dividends on that investment that I did not make. Right. <laughs> right? So if I had put some money into the Amazon stock, I might be getting so I, I would be getting some money back right now. So same thing. It's like with meditation, if you're not willing to invest the initial time in learning the skill, then you're not gonna get the the time back. So if you're just doing like a free app on your phone where you have no skin in the game, it's not actually teaching you how to meditate. It's just holding your hand and guiding you through something, mm-hmm. you might feel a little better in the now, but you're not ultimately dealing with the root cause. So you're not getting this massive ROI. And then you think, well, you know, Oprah and Mark Hyman and the Seattle Seahawks and Ray Dalio all say it's like the secret to their success. I'm just sitting here thinking some thoughts and not really feeling that different. I guess I just can't do it. It's just not for me. My mind is too crazy, which leads me to the second reason why people aren't meditating. They think that they're failing at it. And so there's like this one dude out there telling everyone that in order to meditate, you have to clear your mind and we must find him and we must teach him how to meditate because he is (laughs) robbing billions of people of a lifetime of bliss and fulfillment and better performance because people are judging themselves based on misinformation. So so while it is possible to change your state of consciousness, Mm. it is not possible to give your mind a command to shut up. Okay, And this is the number one misconception around meditation. People think, well, all right, I got to clear my mind. So brain, just shut it down. Man, I really want a snack. Damn it. Snacks are so delicious. (laughs) Damn it. Now I'm thinking about sex. I suck at meditation. I quit. Right? And then that's the beginning and the end of your career. But if you realize that thoughts are not the enemy, that thoughts are actually an indicator that stress is leaving the body. And if you've invested the time to learn a technique that's designed for you and not a monk then you start to see this beautiful ROI. You start to see that for the 2% investment that I make in meditation, the other 98% of my day becomes more productive and more enjoyable. So it's really those two pieces. One, I th- people think they don't have time. And two, they think that they have to clear their minds and therefore they feel like a failure. And none of us will do anything for very long that we feel like we're failing at.
0: I would also offer too that the the way that you, your framework is around meditation, it's so simple. I almost feel like people like I should already know how to like, it's so simple. I feel like I should, I should know, I should know what it is. Like I know what, what it is. Right. Totally. And I, I think meditation, especially in the way that you're at the Ziva protocol, uh, Ziva, I have your Ziva online program and I've been privy and blessed to have you, um, you know, teach at uh, Archangel. It falls into something that I call far side simplicity. So there's like near side simplicity which is like one plus one equals two. You know, it's like simple, not a lot of refinement there. But you know, when we think about far side simplicity, this is like E equals M C squared. It's still a very simple equation, but you can tell that there's been a lot of thought and there's a lot of elegance around it, and there's a lot of molding of the idea, but it's still very simple. Mm. Did you just call me Einstein? I did. I did make, I did make that. And I will give, so Dr. Patrick Gentempo actually first introduced me to that concept of near side and far side simplicity, but I am, I am putting you in the same bucket as E equals MC squared because it is so simple and and elegant, but we don't necessarily know how to do it until we're introduced Mm -hmm. to the concept appropriately. Right. So we don't wake up as babies like E equals MC squared. You know, we don't understand that unless we're shown how it's, you know, how to lay out, how that framework works.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for s- s- highlighting that because there's two things I think are really important. One, my definition of a master is the ability to communicate something with simplicity. Yeah. So it's something that I've spent years cultivating because I am clearly very verbose. I get very excited about this stuff. And I happen to have an old habit of trying to prove how smart I am. I'm sure that you as like an attractive woman being a doctor, it's like there's, there's this old sort of like 80s masculine proving oh, yeah. thing that we're all mm-hmm. trying to shed right now. Yep, yep. And And so it's, I've had to do a lot of work to simplify. And so it's actually been decades and of, of simplifying, simplifying. What's the root? What's the root? What's really moving the needle for people? What are people's real blockages and what's going to move them past it with elegance and ease? And once you distill, 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 it does become so simple that then oftentimes people think, oh, well, duh, like, why didn't I think of that? Or like, I should have just known that. And because meditation is simple, we all do think, well, they just must have taught it that day in 10th grade that I was sick. And so everybody else knows what they're doing. So I'm just going to pretend like I know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. But it really is a skill. And just because it's simple does not mean it's weak. We don't want to confuse simplicity for weakness. I think the power in this practice comes from the simplicity. That's why you get such a return on an investment. Because look, if you're stressed, if you're having a panic attack, you can't afford to do something complicated. It has to be simple.
0: You talk about this concept of uh, emotional detoxification when you're meditating, so I liken this to trauma release, and you you know you you describe this process of where you are you know allowing emotions you know the old trauma, the old stuff, the divorce, the dog barking at you um, to sort of come up and hold space for it to either and sort of marinate in it or to uh, to release it. Uh, can you maybe clarify that or go into a little bit more detail in terms of what someone can expect when they are first uh, embarking on, or, it, you know, it cont- for me, it continues to happen every once in a while. So I have yeah. this sort of emotional detox and I, you know, there's, I feel sad and I'm crying for, no reason. but maybe you can, maybe I'll have you, uh, you know, uh, elaborate on what that is. Mm-hmm. So, it is very much
1: a, a trauma release. And even people who don't identify as having trauma, was like, well, okay, well, you were born. So, that was right. traumatic because you went from like a womb to like this world out here. Or, mm-hmm. You know, if you stop breastfeeding, if your mom ever breastfed you and then stops, that can be traumatic. You know, the first time you realize that you're not your mom, that can be traumatic. And then there's a, just a lot of little like, taking a flight that's not natural. It's not bad, but it's costing your body something. Eating food that isn't food, the fact that our soil is depleted, you know—all all the things that we're doing in modern life. So that stuff gets stored in the cells. And so when we start meditating, um, it can create a bit of a purge, like a healing catharsis. People think the meditation is just going to let that you're like floating on a cloud of bliss all the time. That's not what happens. It's going in and ringing you out. So every Taco Bell, every Jack Daniels, every all-nighter, every breakup, it's in you and it just starts to come up and out. And for a lot of people in the beginning, that can be a very intense process. And And I would say not that many. I actually don't know almost any meditation teachers that are warning people about it beforehand. Because I think they're scared that they're going to scare away their clients and their mm-hmm, students. Mm-hmm. But I I talk about it because I think it's it's almost a bit of a sales pitch, honestly. Like when I'm looking for a tool, I'm like, I want the most powerful, the most efficient. I want the thing that's going to go right to the root. Like I don't want to mess around. And so, and I like to, I would rather my students be overprepared and it not happen versus them think that they should never have a feeling again. And then, uh-oh, uh-oh the entirety of my life's trauma is starting to come up and out.
0: Right. And for them Um, not to have that expectation too, right? Like to, and you have to be able to, yeah, I completely agree. Like setting the expectation, whether it happens or not, but it's so much more appreciated for someone like, I want I I too, just like you, I want the thing that's gonna work. So give me the hard stuff, I'll dive right in and I'll work my my butt off. So yeah, sorry, yes. continue. Yeah. yeah. Um, but but that it looks different for everyone. So some people just
1: simply have a few tears when they're meditating. There's no story attached to it. It's just like, oh, water's coming out of my eyes. That's weird. Mm-hmm. You know, some people will get if they hold their stress in their stomach, they can sometimes get a little nauseous in the first few days and weeks. If people have skin issues or inflammation tends to like hand that hang out on their skin, sometimes they'll get itchy or even in some rashes in the first few days. Um, some people will go to the bathroom quite a lot. Some people get very chatty. Some people just want to be introverted. Lots of people get crazy dreams, very, very vivid dreams, sometimes nightmares. Um, and, and really all of these things are, it's just it, it, the body wringing itself out. And so depending on what your body type is, depending on what flavor, stress, or trauma you have, depending on how clean your diet has been, you know, are you sober and doing yoga every day and, and you know eating great food, then chances are your, your unstressing process may not be as Tense. If you've been eating McDonald's every day, have never gone to therapy, have never exercised, and you have a bunch of trauma, well, saddle up, friend, because we might be in for a a rocky road. Mm -hmm. And really, that's my job is to help people through that. Okay, I've been through it myself. I've helped twenty thousand people through it, so I can see some patterns. I'm not a psychic. I don't know what. Like, I can't predict exactly when and how someone's body is going to release, but I can see the patterns. And I would say the other reason to get a teacher that you trust and respect is that they will know when it's like normal. And when you just power through and, and bravely move through the uncomfortability, or they could say, Hey, this, this seems extra intense. I think we need to modify the program a bit. Just like if you were to go to a doctor and say, you know what, this dosage seems too high for you. Let's modify the dosage. Mm -hmm. That's what I do with meditation. I would be like, you know what, let's take it from 15 down to 10, or you know what, we need to increase the rest or, you know what, I'm going to ask the I'm going to ask you to stop and just do mindfulness and go find yourself a therapist. And we can circle back in two months, you know, so it's it's just um gauging where people are because you never want people suffering right so there's a difference between bravely moving through a bit of uncomfortability and feeling our feelings versus i don't want people crying in a corner without the ability to do their jobs and and so that's where there's a little bit of, of nuance and why it's important to have some help
0: and a community through this well said and i and i think meditation is a really powerful integration tool so whether it's you know, whether you have had physical or emotional or sexual or other, any sort of, any sort of trauma. Um, for me, I know that it would, it would just be sad. Like I would feel sad and I would want just, you had said, you know, there's like tears coming out of my eyes and I don't, there's water, there's water coming on my, there's water on my face. Why is that? And, you know, you just feel this sort of sadness, the you know, grief, heartbreak. And then either, a couple of things happen. Either it's, you know, the charge is less, you know the it's attenuated, so there's not that like emotional charge that it has. You f- and you feel more at peace, or it's gone. Yeah, yeah. And th- it's like it's like when you go into a closet. Like I love to reorganize my cl- organization. It's like my favorite thing. So I go into my closet, take out the stuff that doesn't fit me the way it should, rearrange my shoes, and then it's like a really pleasant place to go into. And at the risk of sounding cr- like crazy, I feel like meditation is is like that. I feel like there's more room inside me. It is not
1: crazy at all. We made a meme for the internet that said Marie Kondo, your brain meditate. Oh That's what you're doing. You're pulling out all the stuff, the stuff that doesn't fit you anymore. Those old jackets, those shoes that hurt your feet, Mm -hmm. you've been trying to fit into that old identity of yourself. We got to burn all that up. Mm -hmm. And there can be some sadness to let go of your old favorite pair of shoes, but it's Mm -hmm. like, it's taking up space in the closet. And so we don't we don't want to let those old irrelevant things hang around. And, and here's maybe a better analogy than even the closet one is you think about your brain as a computer, hmm. right? Every single time you've ever been stressed, it's left a little open window on your brain computer. They're called premature cognitive commitments or PCCs. And most of us, by the time we're like 20, we have about 10 million of those things. And so all the meditation is doing is that it's giving your body the stress so it can actually maximize those windows and then click X so that the window goes away. If they're minimized, they're still burning up your computing and brain power, like the battery and computing powder. If we're going to stay with the computer analogy, it is burning up your computing. Yeah, exactly. So all the meditation does, we maximize it, we click X and then it goes away. So the unstressing part, the purging part is the maximization. Oh, wait, I have to look at that thing, feel it, cry for a minute and let it go. Right. And so it's. The, and I, I don't want people to think that this is therapy because it's not. Um, because I've had lots of therapists take this class and then they still have this physical purging. And they're like, why is this happening? I've dealt with this. And it's like, well, just because you have dealt with it intellectually, just because you have a framework for it in your mind does not mean that you've healed it in your cells, in your body. And that's what this thing does. It's healing things cellularly, which ultimately is going to save you a lot of money at the therapist.
0: And trauma doesn't just exist in our mind, right? Trauma exists in the body. So I think to, and you, I think you contrast it with sleep. You say, you know, sleep is rest for the, for the brain mm-hmm. and meditation is rest for the body yeah. and when you're be- you're when you're able to purge trauma you're purging it from your autonomic nervous system which is starts in the brain but you know it also makes its way through to the body right yeah, yeah. And, and
1: probably if people have ever had like Rolfing or very deep massage or very intuitive body worker you know they sometimes will hit like one spot on your groin or your inner thigh and you burst into tears you're like yes. what is that yes. it's like oh that was that boyfriend in 10th grade that right in your knee. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's nice to get that stuff out of your body. Oh, and here's my nerdy dad joke around this. Ooh. It's better to cry this stuff out into your tissues mm-hmm. than it is to have the stress stored in your tissues, right? Yeah. Like it's just mm-hmm. cry it out, better out than in.
0: Agreed. We call that uh, in the, in chiropractic jargon, we call it a parasympathetic storm. So this oh, is, um, oh, so it's, yeah, it's like, a st- and, it, and often this would happen after an adjustment. Um, so you're, you know, activating the parasympathetic nervous system and it just like, it comes up and it's just, why am I, cr- and this happened to me so many, why am I crying? I don't know why I'm crying, but you're, you're, it's a purge. It's to it's your point. It's a purge. Yeah, and, yeah. and if people are
1: equipped with that intellectual knowledge, then it's so much easier to move through it. And and that's also P.S. why I created the Ziva technique. Like I was just teaching meditation for the first few years of my career. Mm. And then I developed the Ziva technique because I I started to see where people's pain points were, where their real moments of resistance were. And oftentimes it was this, it was that these feelings were coming up and most people are not equipping, people are teaching them how to deal with it. And that is one of the ways that we use the mindfulness. So we use the mindfulness not only as a runway into the meditation, but also as a tool to close the feedback loop between the brain and body so that when those emotions come up, you're equipped to, to listen, to feel them, to process them fully so that you can move through to the new now. And that is what mindfulness is. It is listening to what the body is saying so that it can whisper instead of trying to ignore it so it has to
0: scream. What have been, I would love to highlight your own journey in, in meditation and mindfulness, you know, both initially, I I know your story, but I'd love for you to be able to share that with the listener, but I'm also really curious about how it has influenced your role as a, as a mother. You know, I Mm -hmm. I like to say that there, you know, there ain't, there ain't no hood like motherhood. So, you know, how has meditation helped you, you know, both initially, but also now with your son?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, it helped me in my career. So I was on Broadway for 10 years. My last show was a chorus line. I was understudying three of the lead roles. So living in constant fight or flight, constant stress that led to me going gray, getting sick, having insomnia. And then I found meditation and it it cured my insomnia on the first day. I stopped going gray. I didn't get sick for eight and a half years. I started enjoying my job again. And I just thought, why does everybody not do this? Left Broadway, went to India, started a three-year training process to teach. And you know, here we are. So this year I launched a book and a baby. So it came out with my first book and also birthed my first baby, which I do not recommend. I do not, I recommend doing both things, but not at the same
0: time. (laughs) The high achiever in me sees the high achiever in you. Thank you. Thank you. And namaste.
1: (laughs) We should find our known namaste sign. Um, And it was super intense, but there's no way I could have done that without meditation. I mean, I would have just lost my mind or I would have been a terrible mom or the book would not have been as successful as it was um, had I not had meditation. So it allowed me to get through that intensity. Um, but while we're on the intensity piece, I just want to like keep it real for a minute and and share that you know, I had a dreamlike pregnancy. It was a delight. I didn't, I'd have one day of sickness. I, my energy was great. I was writing the book. Like, it was awesome. I felt good physically. It was great. And then I had a super intense labor and then a brutal postpartum, like, brutal postpartum. And it was very shocking to me because I was very arrogant. I went into it thinking, like, I've been meditating for 11 years. I'm not going to have any of that. And I just had, like, a string of physical complications. So I didn't even have postpartum depression per se. Although I just saw a meme that someone said, like, I think the postpartum depression is a totally reasonable reaction to what is the <laughs> litany of things that happens to your body. Right, um, right, right. So it's like, uh, anyway, that's another podcast for another day. But I just want to share that in the my first month postpartum, I stopped meditating altogether. And I, because if I had 15 or 20 minutes, my body would just fall asleep. Like I could not meditate even if I wanted to. And I think that my body needed that adrenaline and cortisol because I was in a battle zone like i was in war zone i needed to be stressed to be quite honest mm-hmm. and then once baby started sleeping a little bit more once we figured out the breastfeeding situation once my body hadn't healed then i could start to do once a day and then i went back to work two months later i started doing twice a day so the meditation helped me crawl my way out of the postpartum hole um and i'm just sharing that because i don't want people to think that like well i'm meditating and so you never have problems again it's like no things happen but then you have this tool to help you to heal and to recover and to process more fully. And then I'll say that now as a mom he's 15 months old now and he's changing so quickly and growing so quickly and you hear parents say this all the time where they'll be like oh just hold on to it like it's so cute this is the best age like just savor these moments or it goes so fast. And and I that's all true it does go so fast but I think because of my meditation practice, I'm able to fully be with him. Like when I'm with right. him, I'm with him. And I'm looking at him and smelling him and seeing him and feeling him. And and I'm just soaking in every iota of the moment and the experience. And it, it feels like it's slowing down time a little bit and allowing me to appreciate the now and not wish it all away. Cause it's easy, like when you're pregnant, to be like, oh, I can't wait till the baby gets here. And then when their are baby, oh, I can't wait till he's not like, you know, out of this, whatever physical challenge. And it's like, oh, I can't wait till he can walk. And I can't wait till he can talk. And I can't wait till and it's like, no, it's always now. Mm -hmm. And so he's actually been such a great teacher for me, eyes open to really practice what I preach. To be like, it is always now. You know, he's never going to be younger than he is today. And so it's just a lesson in savoring. And I think that the meditation has has readied me for this intense challenge of moment to moment presence.
0: That's so beautiful. And first of all, thank you for sharing that. I think that it humanizes, uh, you know, when we think about, you know, the things that you've accomplished and the things that you've done and your experience in meditation, I think it's really comforting for a lot of people to hear, well, she actually had a hard time with it as well. And like, you're, there, there is another podcast in here about why nobody talks about breastfeeding. Everyone talks about pregnancy and, uh, and delivery. No one, I don't understand what but we have. It to is another. so hard. I will gladly yeah. do it. It's I want to so shout hard. it from the
1: rooftops. I've done a lot of hard things in my life. You know, I got on Broadway at 22. I just launched this successful book. I have a multi-million dollar business with a BFA a musical theater. Like yeah. I've done some hard things in my life. Breastfeeding is the number one hardest thing. I've
0: ever Jesus. Done. It's like, I don't, I'm, it's like, I get it. The football hold. I get, I get all the, I get the holds. Why? What's the, the latch? Oh my God. I, oh, I so yeah. painful,
1: yes. <laughs> but just oh. not to scare everybody. Like not everybody has that experience. Some people, it's just a dream for them. Right. Sure. For us, apparently it was not. That
0: sure. Yeah, sure. And I think, you know, picking up on this theme around meditation and how it's helped you in motherhood, I think that it helps you... Being a mother, being a father, being a a primary caregiver, I think you have to surrender to what is right now. And I think... I am a recovering perfectionist. Um, <laughs> and it, it's it's becoming a parent. Like your child every day is putting up a mirror and saying, This is what you need to do, mom. Like there's gonna be a mess. You got you gotta deal with that now, mom. You know, I'm not gonna go to bed when you told me to, mom, or I'm gonna have this emotional or physical challenge, mom. Like, you know, how are you gonna deal with this? And what meditation has given me is the grit, is the is the grit. It is the grit and the resilience to be able to say, okay, this is not about me right now. This is about my child. Let me meet my child where they, I I feel like it's made me a better parent. Like Mm -hmm. I I have, I meet my child where they are without trying to like drag them into my world. So to your, you know, you said, I take, I'm smelling him and I'm seeing him and I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I can make time slow down. I think that meditation really facilitates better parenting because when you are less stressed, I mean, the last thing you want at the end, there's been, and there's been days where I've, you know, I've snapped, I've, I've snapped and yelled at my kids and you just, the, the, how that feels when you calm down is just the worst feeling. Mm-hmm. So I think meditation has really helped me just get out, like, just increase the space a little bit, if you will, between my reaction mm-hmm. and, you know, before my brain can kick in and say, okay, Steph, this is what, like, just and stop. And that was—that's what I would call the good gap. You know, before we're yeah. talking the bad gap of the space yeah. between where
1: you are and where you think you should be. That to me is the good gap. Mm-hmm. That space between the stimulus and the response. Yeah. Versus you just having an involuntary stress reaction and losing your patience on your kids or losing your temper on your kids. Mm-hmm. It's like meditation mm-hmm. will give you. It might be a half a second, but that's sometimes long enough to be like, yeah, you know, I'm going to take a minute. Yeah. You go to your room. We're going
0: to talk mm-hmm. about this in a minute. Or. Yeah this is I not about me myself. I'm like, I yeah. a minute, I'm just going to step out of the room and then I'm going to come back in. We're going to do a redo. That's what I call yep. it in my house. A redo. I a love redo. that. We're going to do a redo. Yeah. And then the other thing I want to offer on the parenting tip, and Jasper's not this old yet, but I
1: taught a lot of kids to meditate. And one of the things I'm most excited about is next year, We're that's our big project is doing a kids course, mm-hmm. like Ziva Kids, <gasps> um, which I'm thrilled about. But what I've seen happen with some of my students who have like, you know, anywhere from like six to 12 year old kids is that the, those children see their parents taking responsibility for their own mental and emotional health. Mm-hmm. And, and the interesting and it was surprising benefit of that to me is that the kids actually didn't take it personally when and if the parents did lose their temper. So what that, what that looks like is let's say mom's in a bad mood one day and the kids would actually say like, Hey, did you meditate today? Uh, and mom's like oh you know what i didn't let me go and meditate can you take care of your little brother i'll be back in 15 wow versus what can happen is like oh no mommy's in a bad mood she's mad at me i did something wrong they
0: ascribe it to themselves because yeah.
1: kids are narcissists right so if yeah. you're in a bad mood they're internalizing that mm-hmm. but if they see you oh mommy's nicer when she meditates she didn't meditate today she's in a bad mood they can start to mm-hmm. see oh no you you need to take accountability for your emotions right and and i think that's a beautiful thing that like, I think it's easier, maybe not easy, but easier to not put your ego inside of your child. And, you know, Dr. Shefali is really good at talking about this. Of Like your child is not an extension of your ego. They're not here to prove your worth or, you know, be, you are like a merit for you. They're their own individual and you're here to support them.
0: Right. Right. Is there, do you have any best, so I've heard you talk about this twice a day meditation. Are there, you know, maybe you can share some best practices for, you know, what the ideal meditation routine looks like. Are there times when we should increase our meditation? Are there times Mm -hmm. when we should, you know, you mentioned, you know, in that first month postpartum, it was really useful for you in your journey to, you know, just stop it because you just needed that. You needed to be able to just power through it. Um, What are some best practices that you can share with the listener? Yeah.
1: So I do recommend twice a day, but that's only if you have a practice. Like the thing is, if if you've never had any training and you don't have any tools and you're not sure what you're doing, you don't know how to gauge success, then it's going to feel frustrating and like you're failing. And it's, I don't really, I recommend zero minutes of meditation until you at least have some guidance. And that's where the apps are good. Like really, I don't want to take a course. I don't want to get any training. Then fine. Like that, then apps can guide you through and hold your hand. Fine. Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but once you start a practice and you become self-sufficient, which really is the point of Ziva, it's like giving you the keys to the car and the driving instructions. And once you have that, then I recommend twice a day because the once a day is handling all your new stress that you're picking up. The twice a day is what's getting rid of the backlog of stresses. Um, it's like, you know, lifting weights and doing cardio. You know, it's like, you don't want to drink a Coke and get on the treadmill for 10 minutes. Cause it's just like, what? But if you're lifting weights and doing cardio and changing your diet, you're going to start to really see some, some progress. Mm-hmm. So, I do what I teach in the book and in the online course is 15 minutes twice a day. I personally do 22 and then I recommend starting with the mindfulness. So some sort of a breath work or Something active, something that you can control. Because so, our, you know, our left brain wants to really get in there and put our hands on the wheel. Mm-hmm. So something more active, uh, breath work, chanting, something like that, yoga even to start. And then you could go into a more surrendered practice. like you know, That's the meditation portion of Ziva. And then if you have a visualization or prayer or journaling, those things could happen at the end. So that's, um, you know, if you have other tools you're using, that's how I would recommend structuring them. And then I think it's best first thing in the morning before coffee, breakfast, or computer. And then it's somewhere in that mid-afternoon slump, or ideally before the mid-afternoon slump. You know, don't wait till you're out of gas to go to the gas station. But just when you're on like quarter tank, eighth of a tank, pull over, fill back up, but best not to do it right after a huge meal and best not to do it right before bed because, because it is giving your body such deep healing rest. Then a 15 minute meditation at 10 o'clock at night is like an hour long nap. And then you have all this energy and great ideas, but no one to tell them to, but your cat. So better to have those energy and great ideas at two in the afternoon and, you know, use those for your work or your partner or your kids.
0: Right. That's great. And you actually brought up a really before caffeine uh, in the morning. And I find that, you know, the time, you know, we like to caffeinate. I think that's the, you know, the drug of choice for North America. Uh, You see a coffee shop on every single corner, you know, and it's full all the time. Like you can, you know, for sure there's lineups in the morning. We like to have our hit of caffeine in the morning. But there's also, I, I almost feel like you can almost, do a bit of a bait and switch with meditation in the afternoon, like that two to three o'clock sort of slump, one to two hours post lunch, where we're like, yeah, I just need to pick me up, and everyone kind of gets out and goes and does a coffee run. Mm-hmm. And the only caution, uh, which I lo- you brought this up in the book, and I loved it, uh, which was, you know, if you were constantly relying on the caffeine, the energy that you have is actually not your own. So again, back yeah, to this. That's John line. Mackey's
1: quote, the CEO of Whole Foods. Right. Um, he said that to my friend, Andrew Horn. He, Andrew was just about to have a baby and he was drinking coffee and he's like, oh, your energy's not your own. And he walked out the door.
0: <laughs> um, like, and
1: I actually gave a talk at the Google headquarters called why meditation is the new caffeine. Mm-hmm. And, and look, it's like the same amount of time that it takes you to go to the coffee shop, get the coffee, and then drink it and come back. You could just close your eyes at your office put some headphones in with no music, dropped in for 15 minutes and come out, and you're gonna have a sustainable form of energy. You're gonna you're gonna give your body rest. And the the thing about the caffeine is not that this is not an advertisement for don't drink coffee. But the the caffeine is blocking your adenosine receptors, which is what the brain uses to tell you that you're tired. And when the caffeine leaves, it's not like your body stopped producing that. It's been producing it all the while and then it floods into the receptors so you're more tired than you were before you started. Mm -hmm. And depending on your body type, so like in Ayurvedic medicine, there's different doshas or body types. And people like me who are vata dominant, we tend towards like nervousness and anxiety and insomnia. We vibrate very high. For me, caffeine is basically toxic. Like nobody wants to see me on caffeine. For other body types, it's neutral. And for some, it's quite good. Um, But a lot of people don't know what their body types are. They don't know when to dose it. And and so it can become a real dependency, a real addiction very quickly.
0: Yeah. And caffeine also has other, you know, it has a half-life of about six hours. So if you have coffee at two or three in the afternoon, you know, it's, it's only reduced its potency by half by about eight or nine at night, which is going to affect your ability to initiate and maintain sleep you know, when we think about meditation as a whole, the the one thing that I love about your framework so much is that you are really just, you're not changing the environment. You're not going to change the boss that yells at you. You're not going to change the relationship. Well, I think your relationships might change, but you're not changing the demands around you, but you're changing the way that your perception of the environment and the way that you interact with it. So um, I think it just helps you become, you know, more of who you are. And it's been such a, such a, such an incredible tool for me, which is why I've just loved having you um, on the podcast. You're such a wealth of knowledge, and it's always just so great to jam with with another uh, intelligent woman. I respect your work immensely.
1: Mm, Well, the feeling is very, very mutual. Thank you for having me, and thank you for creating this, and thank you for
0: all of the amazing
1: material you put out into the world. It's really valuable.
0: And if people want to find out more, if they want to find, you know, learn more about your meditation style, where you are, you know, are you on the interwebs, you know, if you want to just plug that and let people know where they can find you.
1: Yeah, the easiest place to go is ziva meditation com. So it's kind of a weird word, but it's Z like Zebra I V like Victor A. So Ziva Meditation com. And that's there that's where people can find our online course, which is called Ziva Online, which is what you did. Mm-hmm. And that's just fifteen minutes a day for fifteen days. And you learn the mindfulness, the meditation, and the manifesting. And you also have access to it for it. For six months and monthly coaching calls with me, so there's lots and lots of support. We have an online group, beautiful community of global meditators. And then I teach live. I'm teaching in Toronto in October, right right after Archangel, which I'm really excited about. And I teach in LA and New York usually once a month. So um, everything is at ZivaMeditation.com, and we're all over social media at Ziva Meditation.
0: Wonderful. And we'll have we'll make sure that we have all those things in the show notes as well for the listener as well. Great. Thank you so much, Emily.
1: My pleasure.
0: I hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find all this information at our website, bettershow.co. That's B E T T E R S H O W.co. Maybe the simplest way to keep in touch with me is to sign up for my email. When you go to bettershow.co, there'll be a little pop-up. And I send a weekly email on all things mindset, nutrition, fitness, uh, longevity, aging, things that are capturing my attention that week in a newsletter that we call Brain Candy. You can find me on social, on Twitter, it's doctor underscore Stephanie. On Instagram, I am Dr. Stephanie Estima. that's S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E. E-S-T-I-M-A. And finally, a legal and medical disclaimer. This podcast is for general information only and the advice, discussions, and recommendations that we discuss on this podcast do not replace medicine, chiropractic, or any other primary healthcare professional's advice or care. There is no doctor patient relationship that has been established in the consumption of this podcast, and the use and implementation of the information contained here are at the sole discretion of the listener. The content in this podcast is not intended to be used as a substitute for any professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment.